How is everybody doing on this fine, fine day? Welcome to episode number 17 of This Week in Liver Pods. I am your host, Nikki P. Here, as always, with five shots of libertarian podcast gold for your ear holes. This week's episode is going to feature clips from Pace in Freedom, Shakedown Shan, The Libertarian Angle, The Scott Horton Show, and What's Happening. Our first clip is going to be with James Pace over at Pace and Freedom Podcast. Let's see what he's got for us. Give us an update. All right, so I'm here with Will Turbot. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, we're just going to give him a call here and uh, talk to him about his experience at the uh, Second Amendment rally over in Richmond, Virginia. And actually, as I'm recording now, I just saw this morning, I think, uh, they ended up passing a bill, right, for a red flag, uh, red flag laws. Is that correct, Will? They did, yeah. The day after the rally, they passed the red flag laws. And you did hear a number of state legislators even before this, and the fact that Lobby Day, which has been going on in Virginia, specifically around this issue for 18 years now, this is obviously the largest, but uh, a lot of the Democratic lawmakers had already made it a point to say that this wouldn't affect their legislation or change it whatsoever. So they're really not open to their constitution, uh, constituents. Pardon me. Right. Um, so what was your experience like at the rally? Because you know, mainstream media, they like to, you know, and the majority of them kind of lean up, and they kind of picked, made a picture of, you know, this, there's going to be all this militia and these far-right, um, alt-right people there, and there was going to be violence just like there was at the um, uh, uh, Charlottesville uh, rally. What, what was it like? Well, I've went, just to give you a little background, too, I've went to hundreds, if not thousands, of different rallies all across this country. And I've went to leftist ones, rightist ones, uh, ones that kind of have both or were there, they were there together. When I first got there, it was pretty quiet, actually. Uh, besides an occasional USA, USA, USA chant, every once in a while someone would break out to the Pledge of Allegiance or sing the national anthem. Besides that, it was pretty quiet. Uh, it didn't seem like an ominous quiet, but there was a small amount of tension, at least to me, in the air. But pretty pretty much everybody was on their best behavior. Now, I have, I was very familiar with the media reports talking about how, you know, it's going to be a bunch of white supremacists and so forth. Uh, and then if you look at the alternative media, they'll take some pictures with uh, some of the minorities that were there and say, okay, this isn't white supremacy at all. But, I mean, quite frankly, I mean, there were way more white people than there were minorities. It doesn't mean that minorities weren't there. And it also doesn't mean that those white people were white supremacists either either uh but it was good to see that these these folks came out uh i guess another comparison to be made was i went to a couple of the climate rallies the women's march in dc and stuff and uh you know it's supposed to be about the environment and the climate and they they got trashed everywhere uh the conservatives and i believe they were mostly conservatives although we did have a ron paul militia there which was awesome to meet those folks they were cleaning up trash and, and they were doing their thing but i mean this is still part of the two-party paradigm right so uh i was going in there and a lot of the conversation was like yeah trump trump good trump oh yeah trump he might be rough around the edges but trump's a good guy trump 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 and they obviously must have forgot that trump says 
forget due process. We'll come for the guns first, and then we'll worry about the laws. And so I, I, I challenged a number of people while I was there. I challenged uh, Alex Jones from InfoWars. I got him on my live feed. I challenged Will Johnson from Firepower and InfoWars. I challenged uh, a number of people for their support of Donald Trump at this point when he's got Alex Acosta, Wilbur Ross. He's hiring Epstein's lawyers. He covered up for Epstein until it was good for him. I mean, I can go on and on. He's got the Bilderberg meeting. JFK said he shattered the, the CIA into a thousand pieces, and JFK seems to love the CIA. So I did bring these points up to a lot of these people because, you know, Trump isn't like the biggest gun-toting, gun-supporting president of all time, and I brought out a number of the problems. And when you do that, I did get some guff back from some of the right-wing folks, although most people just uh, laughed, engaged with me, and, and debated me. However... Which is good because, you know, when you go into the left-hand side of things, as witnessed by me personally a number of times in my videos, if you, if you dare say one thing or somebody thinks that you're not on their side, you're, get, you're getting kicked out of there, you're getting stuff thrown in your face. So uh, it, it, is, it is like the left party uh, right paradigm, but you did see that the conservatives were at least trying to be respectful. They were cleaning up. And, you know, they wouldn't throw acid or frozen milkshakes in your face if you just wanted to question them on certain things. So that was pretty good. Right. So you, you mentioned tension. Um, that there was some tension there. Was the tension between the people and maybe the the uh, police, or what was where was that tension? You know, that's a that's tough for me, right? Because I think it may have just been from the fact that the news has been talking about this for so long, and they were hyping it up, and there was all these reports of false flags, and that the, the fact that the Capitol grounds was fenced in, and that's not, it was a kill box. And I, I will say, the fact that they had the, the Capitol grounds fenced in with only one entrance exit, it's, I mean, that's not even fire code, let alone when you have all these these uh, these people there, you know, for right. this huge event. Uh, one thing which was which was really stood out to me, so the tension, you know, it could have just been that, you know, and Antifa, they said they were all right, that was the Pace and Freedom Podcast. Coming up next, we have Shannon Murphy with Shakedown Shan. We don't automatically hand out straws anymore. Mm-hmm. We give them to people who ask for them to try to save the turtles or whatever. Because, um, you know, you'll give them to some people and some people will be like, oh, I could never use a plastic straw. So we just give them to people who ask. Sure. And uh, I think that's how it should be. And, like, companies, if they want to go paper straws or whatever, so be it. But it shouldn't have any kind of law enforcing that. Um, I know a good alternative alternative to straws is the metal straws that are being sold now. Okay. That you can buy. So, like, when you go to Starbucks, you'll get your drink. And instead of getting a straw from them, one of their stupid paper straws, right. you can uh, just stick your metal straw. And it's reusable. Yeah, and you get to bring it home and well, wash it and stuff. You can buy those? Yes. Um, sometimes they're pretty expensive. I'm sure you can find cheap ones at the dollar store. Sure. Um, but that's a good alternative. I don't know what the energy behind making those is, um, but that is something that I would prefer over paper straws. Oh, yeah. I know you want to get to Iowa. And uh, I just want to make one comment because we had talked about homeless people in the past. And in California, the Ninth Circuit Court overturned uh, lower court's decision um, about home, how to deal with homeless people. Well, the Ninth Circuit said that if homeless people want to sleep on public property, and that's on the street or in city parks, 
You so can't, anywhere that's not private. Anywhere okay. that's not private, you have to let them. So if they're sleeping on downtown and you they're in the middle of the sidewalk and you want to tell them that or the police come up and tell them that they have to move, that they can't do that. You can't, and you can't tell them where they have to go uh, because the court said that's cruel and inhumane uh-huh. uh, action. So, but feeding them food is cruel and inhumane. It is. That's right. <laughs> and, or saying that you know there's a shelter you can go to to sleep, but if they want to sleep on the street in public view, they can do it any time of the day. Um, and they were saying that in Los Angeles, there are so many homeless people that they actually could have their own city. Uh, there's oh, I believe I it. Forgot, the homeless 40, problem 000. out there is. Incredible. And they said that <clears throat> the refuse that they create and the you know going to the bathroom on the streets and getting washed into the sewers, it just goes out into the ocean. Uh huh. They're having the a big pollution problem there and disease. And disease. Yep. <clears throat> they had doctor. I can't remember the name of this doctor. He's on TV. You know. Not Dr. Phil, but he was saying there's occurrences now, and there's a lot of them, of diseases that we we didn't have to worry about anymore. But because of what they're doing, there's diseases, and they can be terminal, too, because a lot of these people have hepatitis. And he said, though, it's just flowing into the water system, and it's getting uh, to be really catastrophic out there. Right, yeah. Um, Back in the age of Industrial Revolution Mm -hmm. in Europe, I mean, there was so much disease and sickness. You had these big cities pop up, and everyone's, there's not good plumbing. Everyone's just dumping their waste in the streets, and there's a lot of sickness because of that. And we learned a lot from that to be a lot cleaner so we didn't have those diseases and sickness and now we just have this homeless problem that mimics those type of living situations and uh now we're just seeing things pop up that haven't been here in a long time i thought you'd be interested in that because i know we we did a couple segments you did on homeless Mm -hmm. and what you can't do to help them right you can't make a little shack that's all just everything in one spot because it's not of code right to help them and rent it to them as need for like two dollars a day or something you but can't they do can that. make their own tent right on a cardboard and that's okay right See? so it's it's ridiculous so the iowa caucuses are coming up yes they just had the iowa debate um it was a pretty- all right so that was the shakedown shan podcast always some fun conversation over there i'm not sure how old she is but she sounds like she's 12 which i find entertaining as all get out coming up next we have the libertarian angle with jacob hornberger over at the future freedom foundation and current libertarian presidential hopeful let's see what they've got over there what people grow up with and they're accustomed to is so valid um, because when people grow up with something or are born with something and they're taught that it's freedom, the thought of changing that system or abandoning that system just frightens them to death. Um, and, and I think your examples are very good, like on, on the shoes and stuff. It, I mean, take, for example, open borders. Nobody gives a second thought to the fact that, that people are free to cross state borders. I mean, you know, just think anybody can cross into Virginia anytime they want. Terrorists, murderers, rapists, thieves. 
Nobody there controlling the borders. I mean, in, in an objective sense, like, like that's a frightening thing. You know, I mean, that's I'm being sarcastic, but that's what frightens people about opening up the international border. The terrorists are coming, the murders are getting. But nobody worries about the fact that people are free to come into Virginia and do all these horrible things, terrorists and murders and so forth. Why? Because they've grown up with it. It's just normal. If it had been the opposite and there had been immigration controls and travel restrictions that each each state could, could impose on its own state, and then we libertarians were to come along and say, hey, let's open the domestic borders. People would freak out. Oh, my gosh, no. You mean everybody could come into Virginia? What if everybody just moved to New York? I mean, what if everybody went to California to get on welfare? And it was the same thing. And your, your health care example is a perfect example because, you know, when we were growing up, there was no Medicare. There was no Medicaid. Um, doctors love what they did in life. I grew up in Laredo, Texas, on the border, which the Census Bureau said was the poorest city in the United States. And every day, doctors' offices were filled with people, and they knew they couldn't pay. Uh, and yet, nobody ever turned anybody away. That doctors felt that ethical, moral duty to give back to the community. They, they were among the wealthiest people in town, second only to the people that had oil, oil revenues coming in. And that's, that's genuine charity as compared to the IRS forcing people, collecting taxes to help out seniors with their, their health care expenses. But notice that since we've all been now growing up since you know, the 1960s into this system, that's become the new norm. And then when we, when we libertarians suggest, well, why don't you just get rid of these socialist programs? Oh, my gosh, there'd be people dying in the streets. And that's what socialism does. It causes people to lose their faith in each other, in themselves, in freedom and free markets. Um, that, you know, health care costs before Medicare and Medicaid came into play, um, along with the medical licensure aspect of it, too. That, that's the supply side where the government ha- operates as a protection racket to protect health care workers from competition. That's what licensure laws do. But before the big Medicare and Medicaid, that um, health care costs were extremely low. They were stable. Nobody even had major medical insurance. Some people had catastrophic insurance. But, you know, if you go to the grocery store today, you don't have grocery store insurance to protect yourself against the soaring costs of groceries. And that was the way healthcare was. Going to the doctors was like going to the grocery store. You just paid cash or you wrote a check or whatever. It, it, it just wasn't a big factor in people's lives until Medicare and Medicaid came along. Now, suppose, following your analogy of the shoe industry, uh, suppose in the, in the uh, grocery store business, the government had taken it over. Uh, back, let's say, in 1930s, along with Social Security and so forth. So the government plans the whole distribution. They own the grocery stores. They plan everything. And, and of course, there's only a certain select number of goods. It's, it would be like a, a, the grocery store version of the post office. You go in there and you buy a certain amount of groceries, but nothing like we, we see today. It would just be a government-run grocery store, sort of like what you see in real socialist countries like Cuba, North Korea, uh, the shells bare and few goods here and there. Some of the fruits and vegetables rotting. And then we libertarians come along and say, why don't we just get government out of the grocery store business? Oh my gosh, are you kidding? How can we be guaranteed that there would be food for people? I mean, how, how would we know that there would be food? And yet, Richard, you'll recall that that famous essay by Frederick Bastiat, the French free market legislator, how does Paris get fed? And, and he, he points out that you go into a grocery store and everybody takes it for granted because we were all born and raised under the system. You walk into a grocery store and it's, it's miraculous. I mean, overnight, somebody has brought all these fruits and vegetables, organic and not organic. The, the shelves are, are filled. I mean, it's almost like a miracle, like a miracle of the market. 
But nobody's planning this in, in a central planning aspect. Each company, each group of people across the world are planning their own economic activities. And somehow or another, overnight, you know, all this wonderful stuff shows up in the grocery store and multiple grocery stores. But everybody is just sort of ho-hum. Well, this is just the way life is because we've all been born and raised in it. Well, what we're suggesting as libertarians is that this could apply in all aspects of our lives. Healthcare, education, retirement, uh, uh, drugs, everything. Uh, borders, uh, that all we have to do is the same faith that we have in how the grocery stores operate and what is relatively a free market. We take that same concept and apply it to healthcare, education, the, the whole gamut of free market activity. Yeah, I think that we should also keep in mind that it's not just the economic activities, but what has often come under civil liberties, as 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 you and I, and I, I hope most of our viewers and listeners are aware that there are certain civil liberties that are severely under attack in America today. Social pressures to narrow them. Freedom of speech, freedom of the press, the idea of hurtful talk, harmful talk, racist talk, insensitive sexist talk, and that uh, the traditional notion of freedom of speech needs to be narrow and confined. In Europe, it is a, 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 an so there we go. That was the libertarian angle. Coming up next, we have a man who really needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyways, the illustrious Mr. Scott Horton over at The Scott Horton Show. Let's dig into this episode about Lavoie Fenicum and the Bundys. It's kind of a footnote to this whole thing, that it's that it's important. Well, and it cuts both ways too, right? I mean, you and the article saying that essentially what they did worked. And the, these guys got out of prison. Eventually, Trump pardoned them and right. because yeah, of all this pressure that, that they important. had helped to create. Well, at the same time, it was kind of, you know, could be counterproductive for local politics and all this kind of thing. The fact that the local militias didn't want to participate in it would seem to say, you know, probably on first guess anyway, that they really didn't believe in what these guys were doing or think what they were doing was justified. And you talk about how they were pretty heavy handed with the local population, um, you know, being as pushy as can be instead of as polite as can be coming from out of town, supposedly to help them and that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah you know, all parts of the story are important from from either side. Right. And that was the thing that there was reports of was like the, the, the out of towners being very aggressive towards the locals and, you know, kind of demanding in very inappropriate ways. They pick a side. Um, this is an area where people were starting to open carry and, and open carry is not sort of the, the norm there. And, you know, I, I, I'm not obviously saying anything bad about open carry, but, you know, it says something that the, the, the people in this town who did not feel the need to carry weapons um, as a as a general rule, all of a sudden feel like, oh, I need to carry a gun to go to, you know, to go to the supermarket in this little town where, you know, cattle outnumber uh, number people 14 to one. And I think that the lesson there is less about like, you know, like locals only kind of thing and more about how you should interact with locals when you are not one of them. Um, you know, I'm certainly not suggesting that any cause that isn't taken up by the locals should just be ignored by people 500 miles away. Um, what I am suggesting is that if you are an out of towner, you are, uh, it's kind of incumbent upon you to be extra polite, to be yeah. extra deferential. Um, and that, that does not seem to be the case. I mean, we got a comment on one of the, one of, uh, the, the places that this was posted about how, you know, people brought them food and like, I'm sure that that happened. I'm sure that there were, 
I'm sure that there are cases of solidarity between the locals and and the occupiers who are from out of town. You know, I'm not denying that any of that is that any of that is the case. Um, but you know, there 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 are reports of sort of tensions between the locals and the out of town occupiers. Although. It, people should understand, too, though, that unlike the impression they might have gotten from watching CNN about it or something like that, this wasn't a violent takeover of this was a national park facility or whatever it was there. It was empty it was when wild, they occupied it, it right? Refuge. Yeah, it's not like it's not like, you know, they went and took over the local state park where kids are camping or something. Yeah, and, and held a gun to the local park ranger's head and this kind of deal. Right, right, exactly. I mean, I, that's the thing, too, is I want to be very, very clear that. I am in no way saying that any any of the violence, any of the state-sponsored violence that befell the occupiers was something that they had coming. It is not what I think. Um, I just am trying to present a more more sort of nuanced view of what of what happened there. And as you said to me in an email, you know, I think that kind of the most important fact of this is that the hostage uh, rescue team are the ones who open fire first. Yeah. Uh, well, and so that's actually kind of all I know about it really was I knew that this guy Finnicum had been murdered in this, you know, the incident that had happened on the road there. And there was video of it. It was a little bit hard to see what had happened in the video. And then it came out, I think, more than a year later that the hostage rescue team sniper and big surprise admitted that, okay, yes, it's true. He had fired the first shot uh, when the guy got out of the truck. So that's kind of fast forwarding a little bit, but that to me, is sort of the, the salient point that essentially this guy Finnicum, even if he had been wanted for murder, which he was not, but I'm just right. saying, you know, made up hypothetical. This is a, a fugitive. He gets out of his car with his hands up and the FBI sniper opens fire on him. And then they say that in response to that, he started reaching for his own gun. And then the, the cops on the ground near him uh, finished the job that the HRT had started. So, you know, that and uh, I think this is part of one of the reasons this is so important is because at the time, back to the culture war thing, you know, this was the Black Lives Matter movement and all that. Instead of seeing themselves in these people were, you know, just seeing their opposite number. And I, I remember arguing with this young lady saying that, listen, the Black Lives Matter ought to be rallying to these people's cause, you know, because it's all the same thing. It's we're up against the cops. And then she sent me a picture of one of these protesters at the Oregon thing with a sign that says down with the BLM, which she thought meant <laughs> Black Lives Matter. And that right. he was saying, you know, we were protesting in Oregon because we hate black people so much. And I said, no. I think Scott needs to start the Scott Horton Challenge, which is to see if you can actually keep up with the amount of interviews he manages to get out. Lord knows I can't. I try, but I can't. Our last podcast this week is the What's Happening podcast with Shane and Nico over at Hoppa Supremacy. I love these guys, even if they're competition for best married couple in Liberty versus Lizzie and I. But let's see what they got. They're so confident in this whole thing. Like, okay, well, you know, I'm confident that nothing's going to be said that will be damaging to the president or whatever, because we have a Republican in office and I'm a Republican. So I got to back him no matter what, you know, party politics. So I'm kind of thinking, well, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe just have them come, you know, talk about what they're, what they're going to say, because who knows if they say something and it's, it doesn't correlate with what the Democrats don't just make the Democrats look stupid. Right. I don't really know anything about that. part. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, do you want to move on to the reactions though? Cause it was ridiculous. Okay. So we do have a few that we wanted to kind of show. 
uh, this guy here, uh, he's an ex- and it says on his Twitter, he's an executive producer. Uh, this is just according to his bio. He's, a, he's an executive producer on ABC's Modern Family. Why? It's always only the blue check mark here. Yeah. So repeat after me. I, and state your name. So I, Shane, will work my ass off to for the Democratic Party. There's probably two some. Four. There's probably something there that he maybe he accidentally, you know, deleted or whatever. But anyway. I, Shane, will work my ass off to for the Democratic nominee, even if that person is not my first choice, because as any sane person can see, the alternative is the death of our democracy, which is dumb because this is democracy at work that you're watching right now, stupid. I know. It's like it's like a theme here. They're saying, like, the country is done. Democracy is dead. It's like, yeah. actually, democracy is working how it should be mm-hmm. in the same rules that have been put, like, into the framework. So right. I'm not sure what... Like it's people only complain when it's not their party winning. Yeah. And I also um, saw an article where uh, like back when the Clinton impeachment was happening, Joe Biden was basically saying or doing the same thing the Republicans are doing. They're like, no, we don't need no witnesses. What are you talking about? Who cares? They're in the Senate. So, yeah, you, you know, just cherry pick things to make it look Yeah, because for your the side. thing that the Republicans wanted during the Clinton impeachment, they don't want it for this impeachment. So I, I don't know. I don't know if one's, you know, one's impeachable, one's not. I, have, I don't know. I have no idea. Whatever. I'm just saying what I read from Politico, you know. About the whole Joe Biden, Joe Biden wrote his memo saying we don't Democrats, you know, Democrats need to show no more witnesses. What are you talking about? The funny thing is that now the whole impeachment now is like related to Joe Biden in some way. Yeah, so it's Joe it's, Biden. It's kind of weird. Joe right? Biden, Hunter Biden. Yeah, it's it's it seems like it's always going back to them. It seems you know the whole because the whole thing apparently stemmed from oh, why don't you look into his whole. But then also like, it was just him uh, asking about like the 2016 election. Like he like maybe look into that because I don't know what the hell happened there. I don't know. Yeah, I mean I don't. I'm not a whole. I don't know what the whole. I don't want to get are, back so wanna, all into that yeah. because that's we've already talked about that before. Right. But anyway, here's another uh, reaction. Ridiculous reaction. And this is uh, Adam Savage. Who, oh, if you, oh yeah. And if you don't know who Adam Savage is, he was one half of the Mythbusters. So you know, take that however you want. But anyway, so he says, "Quote GOP members of the Senate, you unconscionable, pathetic, spineless, hypocritical, lick spittle, death rattle of a racist, patriarchal, Calvinist shitbags. May all your teeth fall out but one, and in that one, may you have a toothache. Enjoy our history. Looks at you. It's not pretty." So he's basically saying that I hope you become like a fucking a one toothed weirdo person. I have to say that that is pretty. It's a pretty um, good one. It's a pretty. What good, do you call it? It's 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 a uh, creative. Yeah, it's creative. So I, I I do <laughs> I do appreciate that. There's your, there's your but I mean that's what I mean. The, that picture right there is basically all of these people reacting because yeah. I'm just like cry more, like just cry into the microphone, go have so, your go have your temper tantrum, and then just go back to normal life when something else happens in a few days and you forget about. That's it. That's what Michael Mouse says sometimes whenever he sees him, he clutches me, goes cry more. It's like cry more, bitch, cry more. Yeah. He's probably just you know laughing his ass off. But anyway, so yeah, there's Adam Savage, uh, you know, one half of the MythBusters. So I don't know if that'll ruin your childhood or however, however how old you are or whatever. But anyway. So the next one, or actually, this is, I think, the last one we have. Yeah, there were tons of them, though, but these were the top three. Yeah, um, but this one shouldn't be a surprise, especially if, you know, like with foreign policy or whatever. But uh, Bill Kristol, who's been, who's been a notorious, like, from the start, never Trumper. Uh, so he said, not presumably forever, not perhaps for a day after November 3rd, 2020, not on every issue or in every way until then. But for the time being, one has to say, we are all, we are all Democrats now. We are? Yeah, we are. I guess. All of us are. So everyone that, uh, you know, 
We're all Democrats now. Did you know that? I know you didn't get like a membership card or you should be getting a card in the mail actually probably the next week or so. I mean, Bernie's uh, campaign did text me. That is true. So So I guess maybe that's... Is he a Democrat? I thought he was a Democrat. All right, folks. Well, there you have it. Episode number 17 of This Week in Liberpods. It's also another five libertarian and anarchist podcasts for your ear holes. Hopefully you liked what you heard. Hopefully you found a new favorite. As much as I love doing this, it'd be a heck of a lot more fun if I knew we were making the impact that I know that we're capable of making. So I want you to go out and I want you to share this episode with two people this week. There's a new favorite libertarian podcast out there for everybody, and I want them to hear it. Also, while we're at it, why don't you go stop on over to liberpods.com where you can tell me if there's a podcast you think I need to get hip to or if you want to tell me how fantastic you think this podcast is and about the gigantic impact we're making in the libertarian movement. Last, why don't you go stop on over at libertypodcastranker.com and help some other folks spread the words of liberty. So thanks for listening, and have a good one. This podcast is a proud creation of the Mad Audio Lab. For more information, check out madaudiolab.com. This Week in Liberpods is part of the Liberty Hippie Podcast Network. If you like what we do, be sure to check out Homesteads and Homeschools, Peace Freaks, Cannabis Heals Me, and Free Markets Green Earth. We're living proof that libertarian doesn't mean washed up Republican.